Hello and welcome to the Learning from Legends show with me, Peter Switzer, and my special guest today is one of the most successful female entrepreneurs this country's ever seen. Her name is Janine Alice. Whenever you go and have a Boost Juice, it came from uh, Janine and her husband, Jeff. Uh, fantastic business story. I caught it with her uh, last week. Uh, and as a consequence of the coronavirus, you will discover there are some contributions made by her grandchildren and her dogs. Uh, but that's the kind of thing you have to put up with in this new age world. And some of the business insights that she gives you is really worth putting up with some of those background noises. So without any further ado, let's go to Janine Alice. So Janine, I want to talk to you about all of the learnings and the and the insights you got from you know living through 2020 with COVID-19 and the coronavirus and whatever. But I think for people who just don't understand, because your business is so big, and I'm going to get, I'll get you to tell me apart from Boost, which everybody knows, tell us the full gamut of your business, but also just take people back in time for when you were little, when you were a small business, and how you saw the future at that point in time and then how yeah. you made it happen. Look, it was really important for me um, to, to plan. And so every six months we would have a key stakeholders gathered. We'd go to a beach house or we'd go to a hotel room or something and we'd really go, where do we want to go? And I think what's really important is some people with business, they tend to just do business and then they live on hope and hopefully it gets there. But the real businesses that truly actually make a difference, the ones that have already know where they're going and then they work back to make that happen. Um, many businesses that I've worked with as, as I was growing, like whether they were design companies or um, shop fitters, didn't actually grow with us. So they might've been you know, early adopters with regard to coming into our business, but they just didn't have the foresight to be able to grow and consequently let us down, uh, let themselves down and you know, imploded. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to people to go, okay, in 12 months time, you know, we're gonna have 15 more stores, to do 15 more stores, let's work, let's work back today and work out what we have to do today to achieve that. And it was, you know, it was probably not really, it wasn't that I knew knew this because I, I did some business course. It just seemed to me logical. Mm. You know, I just didn't want to, I also was very conscious of, um, I, was, I took my role very seriously and I took people that invested in my business really seriously. So for me, I had a, not a heavy burden, but, I, but it was for me, I was like, right, I've got to do everything in my power to make sure we're a success. Now, what you gave me there is an answer. And I've known you since you really started. I, I don't know how many shops you had when I first uh, talked to you. But that to me seemed like the answer you, you would have given me after a couple of shops, and I, I might be wrong, I might be totally wrong, but did, were you seeing that when that first shop opened up? That you came, you discovered the idea in America, if I remember rightly, and you came back and you opened your first shop. Were you seeing that as clearly? Because some of the people watching us want to be you one day, and they're, they're, they're like you were when you first started. And, and if you weren't like that, what was the eureka moment that just changed you? Um, no, look, in fairness, when I opened my first store, I didn't even know if it, were better, it was good or bad. Mm. You know, I didn't know. But I, in actual fact, the, one of the best things I think about getting into business is naivety. Because yeah, naivety yeah. means that you sort of go, I'll give it a go, and you haven't got any failure in your head at all. And you just go, okay, I'll work it out as I go. And so, yeah, I opened this first store and, 
you know, taught people there's a blender and this is what you put in it. And this, and you know, I, I painted the first floors, you know, the polyurethane on the floor. I did everything, but no, I was, I didn't, I, I was too busy raising three little children at home and doing my business and occasionally spending some time with my husband to even think about networking and getting out there or doing any, any self-development. It was just simply this crazy doing. And I became an incredible problem solver because that's what I had every day as a problem. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think of you and, and other people like Mark Burris and John Simon and Gay Waterhouse and people like that, it, re, it reminds me of my favourite quote that came from Chris Evert. And she said one day, there were times when deep down I wanted to win so badly I could actually will it to happen. I think most of my career was based on desire. Do you, do, I think you, you, you're like that. But were you like that? Did you really want to win? Did you really want to, did you have a desire to turn boost into something great? Yeah, no, completely. No, no, no. Yeah. I think everyone has a, a relatively healthy ego to go, right, I want to create something that is that I'm really proud of and that people who are around me are proud of. And um, so, but, but I think honestly, when you're actually getting into it and like we opened 100 stores in four years, yeah, if you're doing that pace, you haven't got much time to think about anything other than, you know, is the shop fitter on time? Is the other store's audits being done? Are the wages being paid? You're actually so busy doing, you actually don't think much about anything else. Yeah. And so, and sometimes I, I sort of relate it to being on a train. You know, you're going really fast on a train. You don't really realise how fast you're going because you're actually on the train. So you're present in the moment. So, yeah, so no, pre pretty much my life was go. You know, and somehow I kind of got my kids to school somehow and somehow they got fed and <laughs> occasionally. And, um, yeah, it was just a crazy ride of, of doing. Yeah. And, and, and was it important to, to bring along on this unbelievable journey, 100 shops and four stores, people that you met along the way and who you said, hell, this person's teaching me stuff. I, I'm not going to lose associations with him. I can remember an accountant that showed us stuff that we hadn't thought about. And I had a, a master's in commerce from the University of New South Wales. But, but people at the coalface often can show you stuff. And I remember Renee Rifkin teaching me stuff about the stock market I never learned at university. But was there stuff like that we thought, need to have a great network of people around me when I'm growing? Yeah. Look, I wasn't a good networker, but I was very conscious that I was limited in, in my experience and I wanted to not make the same mistakes that other people had made. So what I did was I actually contacted um, people like a guy called um, Fitzgerald, James Fitzgerald from Muffin, Muffin Break. Muffin Break, yeah. Poor James yeah. passed away, didn't he? He's a uh, yeah. And, um, you know, Leslie Gillespie was incredible. Gillespie's were incredibly helpful. That's Baker's Delight. Yeah, Baker's Delight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and obviously Jeff Harris came on board relatively early too. So I would um, buy them coffee and they were so generous with regard to their um, time, information. They didn't hold, hold anything back. You know, Leslie specifically couldn't have done more. She, you know, gave me discs. You know, back, <laughs> we're talking a long time ago. She gave me discs on some of the programs that she used that were really helpful for her and her franchising. Yeah. You know, even um, Harvey Norman, you know, Katie Page, when we were looking at listing at one point, um, you know, she was happy to sit down and, and you know, only for the cost of a coffee uh, would give me whatever information I wanted. So so that's probably how I really networked. I just sort of went and I literally went to them and I had a pad and pen and every word they wrote, I wrote it down and then I picked the little gems out of it that related to me and off I went. And 
so I think that that's how I sort of managed it. Okay. And I, I laugh, pad and pen. You didn't, you didn't use your mobile phone and just take your notes on your mobile phone. <laughs> no, I think, look, I think for me with regard to how it goes into my brain is it needs to be written. Yeah, I'm And so I, I always actually, even in front of my computer, I have, a pen, I have a pad beside me. So I always tend to, you know, I find the written word is really important. Yeah. Okay. Let's get, get this some, some questions. I knew people who, who hear from people like you, they want to get inside the experience of your life in those early days. But we, now I want to ask you some questions about, for example, your views on the challenges in 2020. How, how did your business navigate COVID-19? Look, the reality, Peter, it started off with um, like sheer... What's the word? Not panic, but sheer unbelievable. Look, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you sort of like, you know, we do risks like you do all the time and we work out the business, you know, how, how these risks work. And um, and I didn't think about pandemic and I didn't think anything would be so bad that you'd be shutting your businesses, right? I didn't think it'd be right. so bad that we'd be closing borders and not letting people in, you know. I, w- I didn't think that was even a possibility, you know. Yes, you know, a few things. So, the first thing you think of was, oh, my God, I can't see a way out of this. I can't see us closing with all of these rent liabilities, all of these monthly liabilities that we've got. How how do we get out of that? Wow. And you know what? The thing is, though, you know, people, you really sort of saw the amazing people that stood up, stood, stood up and actually took, took control. You know, I have to say, you know, people whinge and carry on about the government, but I thought thought the government acted swiftly and decisively and they made decisions that, you know, maybe not the um, most thought out, but then again, they didn't have enough time to, to do it. So I thought that they did an extremely good job to keep the economy in a place where we could recover from. Yeah. And, you know, so it was really once we started, started to understand the, they, they had to change laws, you know, they had to change... HR laws. Yeah. So once we understand all those laws changing and the what what we how we can navigate through the rents, then it started to go. Okay, it's not about. It's actually now not about growth. It's actually about cash preservation, and it's about company preservation. Yeah. And you know there was hard decisions made. You know, was there was people's salary was dropped, people were stood down, people were terminated. Like it was. It was a crazy time, you know, and, and a bit like you, it was every, you know, probably morning and afternoon, it was crisis meetings. Mm. So it was pretty crazy. Yeah. So uh, setting the right course for 2021, how are you doing that? Look, I think at the end of the day, it's um, people have sort of got over the shock of COVID, and we and we we also know that we have this turbulent time where, other than New South Wales or every other state, if they get a bit of a cold, they shut down for three days, and sort of that's a, a challenge and uncertainty for businesses and, and event, people putting events on. So I think there's still a where we've gone through the biggest ocean and the biggest seas, but we're now in calmer waters, but still, you know, there could be a big wave around the corner. Mm. Um, so I think it's really business as usual, you know, making sure that, you know, quite often a lot of these businesses have gone through a cleaning up pro- program and I'm sure you've spoken to them too and, and people have gone, I had so much dead wood in my business and so many expenses I didn't need. Yeah. COVID actually helped me put put my head back in the right game 
and run my business a lot more effectively. Yeah, exactly right. I, I know the CEO of Webjet, John Gusick, said that you know uh, they, they cut so much out of their, their business in terms of fat or costs that he thought we, his bottom line would rebound a lot faster than it would have if you know they hadn't been through a, a, a terrible experience like that. So, oh look, completely. And 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 I think we had a conversation before we started about how even our businesses have changed, and we've done things in our business that we might might have done in five years' time, but it was brought it forward. And now there's people that are doing businesses in a way that they probably never thought of it before. So I think. Um, there'll be the businesses that survive will be um, stronger and bigger and better than post-COVID than pre. And I think that many businesses will look at this period and go, thank you for it um, because of this is what it did for us. And, and I'm also talking personally too. I think a lot of people have, have spent time with their families that they haven't before. Yeah. There's a lot of people that um, have you know, said, actually, why not? move to a warmer climate or why not do certain things so i think in many ways a big dramatic event like covid has made massive changes and look you know both of us i'm sure we look at the news and see what's happening abroad and you know we are in utopia because we're li living a relatively normal life and there's people out there that are really struggling are businesses better positioned in these times of unprecedented change when they can clearly communicate a clear purpose to show why they exist and who they are built to serve? Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, um, it's the people that f that f pretend that there are something that they're not. I think that's why a lot of founder-led businesses, and you would have seen this forever, you know, often founder-led businesses are successful because they're, they're, there's a purpose and there's an intent and there's a there's a desire to, you know, wouldn't it be good if, like, wouldn't it be good if I can get more fruit and vegetables in people's business, in yeah. people's in people's bodies or wouldn't it be good if I could create a, a business that makes that, pe that people just that little bit happier? Wouldn't that be good? And there's many people that start business that wouldn't be good. Then what happens is, you know, the business grows up and often the founder leaves for whatever reason. And then that that it then becomes transactional. It then becomes, oh, gee, the, the profit's not great, so let's cut costs. Hmm. And then it's a slippery slope down to oblivion. And they forget that... As an entrepreneur will go, you know what, we're prepared to sacrifice profit for the for the benefit of um, for the benefit of the, the vision because of the vision that they've got. When you started Boost, you know, you were a relatively young woman and I won't try and guess how old you were, but I would have thought you were in your twenties, but maybe I was wrong. But I've known you Early thirties. Yeah. Early thirties. Uh, young thirties, all right. And, mm. and 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 the thing about it was so you, you, you were close to the, the generation you were serving. So you, and you, you gave away a franchise on the Osteria network, a younger person's network and all that sort of stuff. And as you got a little bit more mature, I'm careful for my words, I know you took up surfing and, and you're now living close to the northern beaches in Sydney where the surf's pretty good. Hmm. Has that helped you actually even stay in touch with the customers that Boost serves today? Look, really, I think at the end of the day, you, 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 I, I see where you're going with it. You know, there's many people out there that go, I like it this way. And you go, well, what's your target market? Is it a, is it a 55-year-old woman? Hmm, maybe not. Well, maybe you're, you're not listened to as much as 
my niece who is smack in the middle of the target. Yeah. So I think that the answer is you always listen to your customer at all times yeah. forever. Yeah. But I also think that um, I, I do think, though, that these days there is a it's less about age and more about attitude. Um, and I think it's how people think. I think I've met people in their 30s that think like an 80-year-old and 80-year-olds that think like a 30-year-old. Yeah. Um, but I do think, though, irrelevant if whether I think I have a useful mind, um, you're crazy if you don't speak to your customers. Like if, if you're not on a regular basis having, um, you know, quantitative and qualitative research done on your customers, on the new products, then shame on you. And, you know, don't don't come crying if it's not working or you know, the customers aren't buying it because it's actually by understanding the customers that means you've got a business. Now, that also doesn't mean that just because your customers in research says you need to go this way because in actual fact, what did Henry Ford say? Um, if he asked his customers, they would have said he wanted faster horses. Mm. So, so sometimes you need to, you know, break out and do things that people wouldn't expect you to do, nor would you expect them to be successful. So you've got to try things. Be okay with making mistakes. Be like Elon Musk and blow up a few rockets. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> you know, you, you need to try things and get things wrong to truly actually progress forward. And look, we know, Peter, when we actually get things wrong, it costs money and it hurts, yeah. right? We don't like it. We only want to make do things that make money um, or are successful. But without those failures, you can't you can't be successful. Yeah, there's a, I've got a question here about how you establish and grow trust. And that's certainly something that you were really good at in the younger, younger days of the business. And I, I don't doubt you're still doing it. But was that a conscious decision that you had to make your business, in a sense, likeable to as many people as possible. And the way to do that was to connect to that customer base. Because you used to do things like birthday days when, if some, if, if you, your birthday wasn't, you get a free uh, boost juice or name days and stuff like it's that? Still, it's still the same thing. You know, yeah. today, if you get a birthday, you get a free boost. Yeah, why not? It's your birthday. Yeah. And it's also, they do things like, what's your name game? You're right, which we're relaunching. I think, though, at the end of the day, Peter, it actually gets down to the person who's running it and are you genuinely authentic? Yeah, yeah I know. When, when Aussie John used to say, Aussie will save you, people believe it and that's exactly what he tried to do. No, completely. And, that's, and you know what? He actually meant it too. The power of overcoming challenges. If you like, just remember one massive challenge that you thought was, apart from coronavirus, that was at the time seemingly very difficult to deal with and how did you get over it? Look, it's a, it's a really, I find that a really hard question. The reason being is there's so many challenges, right, mm. that happens. And, and, there's to, and it's always the firsts, right? The first time someone litigates, so the first time um, someone steals from you, the first time, yeah. um, the first time, yeah, you, 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 you pick the wrong site and you start to lose money on it. Like the firsts are horrible. The first time the supplier goes broken, you, you don't know what to do with it. The first time there was a cyclone in Queensland that wiped out all my bananas, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Didn't pick that one either, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that though, but what what I do is, and I and I truly believe it's believe it, is that all of those things, every single one of them, including coronavirus, has made the business it is today. So all of those so-called bad things that happened, thank goodness for them because we wouldn't be the business we are. We wouldn't have the robustness. We wouldn't have the systems in place. We wouldn't have a big backup for bananas, you know, and, and we, so 
in actual fact, everything negative, I can't see them as negative. But at the time, sure. Did I not sleep that night? Yep. Did I not, you know, did I just sort of go, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of this one? Sure. Um, but what you find when you get old and you've been in business long enough is there's always a solution and it's actually never that bad. Yeah. Right? You can always work through it. I mean, I'm sure there is times when it's, it's seriously that bad, but most businesses' problems are very solvable. Yeah. The importance of storytelling in marketing. Oh, you've got to take people on the journey. You know, um, I'm actually traditionally not a great storyteller. I have my son and my mother are brilliant storytellers. Mm. But I think that um, people, I don't know about you, but I am, um, when, when advertising agencies come in, they pitch their wares. <laughs> they'll do this, you know, they'll do the big presentation and they show you three concepts and then the last concept's what the one they really want you to take. And then they'll sit there and they'll they'll tell you 10 minutes before they show the concept on how they come about it and how the journey was developed to be the concept, right? I hate that <laughs> because the reality is when the consumer sees that concept on a point of sale or TVC, they don't get someone sitting in front of them and going, the, the inspiration for this was that the sunset happened on the third moon, right? And so I just go, stop, don't want to hear anything, show me the concept as if I'm the customer, mm. unless you're going to be able to get a team of people that speaks to every single customer and gives them the same 10-minute speech. Yeah. So the story, the telling of stories is really important, but you have to understand your medium. So and it has to be consistent on all mediums because, you know, some mediums like maybe an Instagram where you can do a video, you can tell a bigger story. A... Um, a billboard on a freeway, it's, you know, three words, get it or, or it's gone, you know, bus stops, like radio, 30 second, like, so the story that has to be told has to be really concise and clear and you need to check with the customers if they get it. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I, Jeff and I, I think it's our little game. We sit there and we watch an ad on TV and go, okay, guess what, guess what they're selling, guess what they're selling. Yeah. And, you know, quite often you're like, oh, my God, no way they're selling. Like, <laughs> And I think the other thing that people who are watching this, you need to make sure you do this in marketing is if you could take your product off that concept and put another product on it, would the concept still work? So in other words, the concept has to belong to you as your brand. So we are a love life brand with Boost and we're cheeky and naughty. So we can have, we've got a tone that it's pretty hard to replicate, you know? And so it's pretty easy to go, even if there's a logo on it or off it, you kind of know it's a Boost. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, I think the most important thing is, you know, if you can sort of uh, like, I saw one concept that a business I'm involved with at the moment. I said, look, really you could, take your logo off, put Dove, and the con the concept's a concept. Like, mm. you've got to own it. And got to, people have got to go, oh, yeah, that's... And there's some really, like, um, great brands out there that you say one line and they go, oh, it's that. You know, it's, you know... Yeah, exactly. And, right. and so that's what you need to get to. You need to get people to, um, you know, get to the point where they say, I'm going to get a boost. Like, and people don't think they're getting a mobile phone or a boost bar. They know they're getting a drink. Yeah. I saw an ad last night. And I really did not know what the ad was about until the last words on it. And there's this guy struggling in the dark and the wet and the, and the mist. And he does eventually plant something. But, <laughs> and it's Yolanda for Yolanda Wines. And I, I guess the most important thing, at least I remembered it. But hell, until I, that word came up, 
I didn't know what the guy was doing. I thought no. it, was, it was it was strange, but I guess I'm remembering it. At least that's something. I'm doing a free ad for Yolumbo right now. But the thing is, though, like people want to know why. So you know, when you see the Commonwealth Bank or the at the NAB going. We care about you and we, you know, it's all about, you know, it's all about, it's not about money. (laughs) It's about about your needs and your business size, right? What the consumer really wants to hear about is if I call you, do you you answer the phone pretty quickly or do I go to India and and they don't know what they're talking about? Um, Are your interest rates the cheapest? Um, Are your fees the lowest? Like that's what they want to know about. They don't necessarily want to know if stuff that they actually don't believe. (laughs) Imagine a bank just said, hey, we just want to make you rich. Come, come, come to us. Make I know. <laughs> it's a great Everyone concept. Everyone would love it. Everyone would love it. Yeah. Next one. Look, if a bank turned around and said, look, we're about profit, right? And our profit means if you're profitable, we make more money. Yeah. And we've got a way of making you more money because yeah. we want to make more money, right? Say it. But going back to your last question, that authentic, authentic yeah. right? A bank would get more credit for saying that than them saying, we care. <laughs> I, I always say to people who whinge about banks, if you don't like banks, invest in them because the shareholders are the ones who benefit in the end if they're screwing customers. Anyway, I have, I have lots of banks' shares. <laughs> of course you would. All right, next one. How important um, is it for you to be a people expert for your employees and your customers? And I guess... Were you a people expert when you first started and have you become a people expert? I don't think I was an expert in anything, honestly. Um, am I a people expert? I'm not sure. I think that you, as soon as you think you, you're a people expert, you hire someone that is terrible and you go, oh, God, I have no idea. <laughs> or trust someone in business as a supplier and they screw you over and you go, no, nah, I have no idea about people. I'm bad at it, right? I Look, I think that I was, no matter what the the time, how many times I've been, you know, screwed over or whatever. I actually think most people are fundamentally good people and they want to do the right thing. And I think that I always treat people how I'd like to be treated. And I, um, and also equally people treat you how you allow them to treat you. And I'm very conscious of that too. So I will never let people treat me any way other than what I, how I would expect to be treated. So, you know, does that make me an expert? I don't think so. I just think I'm a person that um, likes people and I love to see success, people's successes. I love it. Um, and I and I like nice people and I like to be with nice people. So, but, you know, and but I think I have a good, <laughs> I think I have good guts on the right type of people until I don't, <laughs> which, which as we know, Peter, it's, yeah, we get it right. We get it wrong. That's right. It's a, it's a learning journey, isn't it? Uh, how, how important has it been for you to develop an objective set of eyes on your business? Um, oh, look, I think you have to be objective at all times, you know, but I'm also an objective parent, you know, I think. I think. Um, you know, I think that you need to... Really what you're saying is don't believe your own bullshit in your business and in your life. Mm. And I think that I feel like I'm objective enough to go, yep, I'm wrong in that or I'm right. Okay, seeking expert help has that been important to you? I guess certainly for the for areas that you are not an expert in. But I'm also I source expert help. But I also go, how can I use that expert help to improve my knowledge base? So next time I actually seek that help, I'm I'm seeking it with a higher level of understanding, so I can ask smarter questions, so I can get to the answer quicker. Continuing, continuing self-improvement, is that important to you? 
and, and meaning it's the meaning of life. It is it is what we're here on earth to do, you know, um, self-improvement in every way, in our health, in our um, ability to communicate, in our business, how we do business. So I think every single day, if you haven't got a view that there's a better way, you'll find it, then I don't know what the purpose you have because if you think that you've got all the answers in business and your business is perfect, well, your business is going in the wrong direction really quickly. Okay. Here's an odd question. Um, what did you get out of the experience of Celebrity Apprentice? Um, you know, interesting, I think that um, people often sort of look something, look at something like Celebrity Apprentice and go, oh, the celebrities are coming on, they just want coverage, right? They just want airtime. What I got from Celebrity Apprentice, which is the same lesson I learned when I worked for David Bowie years ago, is that people are people. and. The people on Celebrity Apprentice were genuinely there, a lot of them, not all of them, were genuinely there because they had a story based on a charity. And some of the, and, and it wasn't fake, you know, and so the, they were very invested in actually winning this, this game. And, and honestly, it doesn't feel like a TV show when you're filming it. It's, it's only, I think, when you watch a lady go, oh, that's right, it's a TV show. At the time, they are battling to to win, I think we've all got a, an ego to win, but also battling for their genuine charities. And, and when you start sitting down with some of these celebrities and hear their backstory, you, you find out pretty quickly why, they, um, why they're there and why um, the charity that they're backing up is, is um, so important. And I must admit, I was one of those cynics that went, they don't care about the charity, they just want airtime. But, you know, having seen it firsthand, um, it's a real deal. Yeah. One last thing, I interviewed Mark uh, Burris recently, and one thing he said was he wouldn't do The Apprentice anymore because he thinks that society's moved on, that the, the kind of message uh, and the way that people were treated, it's just not a modern uh, workplace acceptable practice. What, what's your reflections on that? I think my reflections on that is that the you know, he made a sim similar comment with Shark Tank and, and I disagreed with him, you know, um, because the amount of advice that these people got, they basically sat in front of five people who were experts in their field and got free advice. I mean, who gets that? So I don't think that, I don't think he's correct because it's what people get out of it as well as they put in it. And people that go on to these shows they're not, they go in knowing what they're doing. And I've, I know those businesses on Shark Tank um, and also the business on Celebrity Apprentice, the ones that actually are featured, they get an enormous kick. And so the businesses were born and created and made successful because of these TV shows. At the end of the day, you know, you're in TV and you have been for a long time. Like, you know the power of TV. And if the power of TV can actually kickstart some of these businesses, then it's all good. Mm. On Celebrity Apprentice, look, at the end of the day, we've also got to remember it's entertainment. Yeah. And all of these people, particularly celebrities, are there having been in the game for a long time. They know what they're talking about. You know, um, Alan, Sir, um, Lord Alan Sugar, he's a successful, um, you know, giant in his field. And, um, you know, it, and in actual fact, it's a bit of fun. I mean, the cameras go off. We have a good laugh. You know, it's... You know, it is serious when we're in the boardroom, but you know, at the end of the day, there, there's friendships that have been forged through those shows. So, that, so I think my 
point is in a long-winded way, the benefits far outweigh the, the negatives. Yeah. And you know what? The reality is everything isn't in life hunky-dory, yeah. you know? But and I do love the idea that Janine Alice has become tougher than Mark Burris. That is a great observation to make. <laughs> Janine Alice, thanks for joining us on the program. No, thanks for having me. And that's the show for this week. Uh, that actually will be shown as a video on growyourbusiness.com.au, which will be up by the weekend. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Quentin time! Quentin time! <laughs>